So joy to the world. The song, Joy to the World, that you open with, that song was written by Isaac Watts in 1719. That song was never intended to be a Christmas song. That song is written about the second coming of Christ. The last stanza says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders of His love. But in the very first stanza, it was there that it sort of captivated the hearts of people when they began to relate it to the Christmas story as this one, this coming Lord who comes as a baby and began to just take over our hearts. And this song, Joy to the World, it really just encapsulates that the Lord has come, the way we ought to express our gratitude at Christmas time. You see, because that's the message that the shepherds, that's the message that the angel gave the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, the scripture says, Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I like the King James. They were sore afraid. I love that. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, let's just think for just a couple minutes. How exactly is the Christmas story a story of joy? Jesus comes into the world. He brings peace into a world that's filled with chaos. He brings light into a world that's filled with darkness. He brings love into a world that is entrenched in loneliness. But best of all, he brings forgiveness into a world that's embroiled in sin. Now, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. But sometimes we kind of lose the, the true meaning of what's really happening and how we ought to respond from our hearts to Christmas. You see, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to distinguish joy from happiness. Because if those two things are the same thing in your vernacular, then there's a problem because they're really not the same thing at all. Happiness is something that's temporal. Happiness is a wonderful feeling. I love when happiness takes over me. I love when I'm filled with happiness. But I know that happiness comes when my circumstances make me happy, when my situation makes me happy. I know that happiness, as wonderful as it is, is fleeting. That in the same amount of time it can come into my life, it can go out of my life. You see, this is supposed to be the happiest time of the year, isn't it? That's what we say. That's what the Christmas song says. But oftentimes it's anything but happy. Sometimes we wish it would hurry up and get over. Sometimes people, it might be as simple as not getting what they want for Christmas. Not being able to be with who they want to be with for Christmas. Maybe it's just one of those you know, oranges and underwear Christmases. You know what that is? 
it's just a bummer. I, I mean, when I was a little kid, my, I, we were, I, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but we were poor. And my grandparents would send us uh, Christmas presents from South Dakota, and that was our only hope at something good. And so we would, me and my sister would look through the, the Sears and Roebuck catalog and dream about all the things we might get. And then there'd be that year when my grandparents would send me a sweater, a hat, and mittens. They didn't understand that, you know, living in the South, we don't need that. And no kid wants that. And it was a bummer. I, it was an orange and underwear Christmas. Sometimes at Christmas, family tension is at an all-time high. We get thrust into close proximity with people in our family that we maybe... It's not that we don't spend a lot of time with them or spend any time with them, but we don't spend time with them all together in the same place at the same time because that can be kind of hazardous. You know, you get together and Aunt Martha's having too much eggnog. Don't ask me what nog is. I'm still trying to figure that out. It bugs me, but I like it. It tastes good. But, you know, sometimes people get a little too carried away and they start acting kind of crazy. Or You got this weird uncle that hangs out under the mistletoe and he's just waiting for everybody to walk by so he can ambush them. You know, and it's kind of weird. Grandma's been in the kitchen way too long. She gets really cranky. She's mad because everyone's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And you're thinking, man, I wish somebody would get run over by a reindeer about now. <laughs> but happiness, it's there and it's gone. And so if this is supposed to be the happiest time of year, well, a lot of times it's anything but that. But joy is different. Joy is eternal. Joy is not temporal. It's eternal because joy is based on a relationship. Joy is a relational expression. It's a, an emotion that's, that's based on a relationship. Joy is what fills your heart when you know Jesus. And you see, when you're filled with joy because you know Jesus, then even when things don't really go your way, even when your holiday season isn't going the way you planned it to go, or even when... Your holiday season might be the hardest time of the year for you. There's probably some of you in this room. In fact, I know there is. I was thinking about that when I was sitting right there. I was looking in the choir loft, and I was thinking about people that I love so much that this is going to be their first Christmas without their loved one. It's hard. Some of you out there are in that place. You see, happiness can, can leave if, if that's all you got. Some of you are, are right here on the, the cusp of, of Christmas and you got bad news from the doctor. And happiness is, is really not going to be of any use to you right now. But you see, when your heart is filled with joy and it's based on a relationship, it's based on knowing Jesus, then when all of these things happen, when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, you still have joy because you... Know the one who came, the king who came, the one that we're celebrating. And even when it's hard and even when it's tough, here's what you know. You know that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Because there's more to you than this life. You see, 
It's beyond just all of this stuff. See, Paul understood that. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in the midst of everything that he was going through, he said, I'm filled with comfort and I am exceedingly joyful in all of my tribulation. Hmm. You know, everything, if you know Jesus, really is going to be all right. Doesn't mean today won't be hard. I got a a phone call just before I walked in here tonight. Tragedy. Tragedy. But if you know Jesus, see if you're if you're not if you're not held captive by the circumstances of this life, today may be excruciatingly hard or tomorrow or the next day or I don't really know, but here's what I do know that if you know him then whatever happens here, whatever happens in this life, I know it's going to be okay because I know I'm going to be with him forever and ever and ever. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. So abide in my love. And then he goes on to say, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You see, that's the story of Christmas. It's It's not just that God sent his son and that that son is going to help our circumstances or that son is going to help our situations or that son is going to give us something bright to look at in the midst of darkness. No, it's going to transcend happiness and that that son is going to come and live and die that we might have joy based on a relationship. So the song says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. But then it says, let earth receive her king. You see, 2,000 years ago, a king came to this world. But not just a king the way we think of kings. Not just a king who rules in a, in a military way. Not just a king who's, whose power is based on the size of his military or his conquests or things of that matter. Not a king that's going to live in a palace. No, not a king who dines with dignitaries, but a king nonetheless, a king, King Jesus, who's going to be different than any other king. See, in Matthew chapter 2, the Bible talks about these wise men, and they come from the east. And here's what the scripture says, behold, wise men come from the east, and they come to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. But then Herod the king, heard this, and he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes together, he inquired of them, where is the Christ who is to be born? So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet. And then they, the scripture quotes Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler, the prophecy says, who will shepherd the people of Israel. And so this King Herod is in a panic because a ruler is coming. So there's the irony of this moment. The earth is filled with kings when Jesus comes. Think about that. King Herod was a king, but really only a king over a province. Above him was Caesar Augustus. I noticed that when Stephen was so uh, eloquently narrating that somehow he got out of having to say Quirinius. 
Wasn't that nice? You were like, praise the Lord, I didn't have to say that. <laughs> right. Every Christmas it drives me crazy to have to say that. But we've got Caesar Augustus who is the king, the ruler, and he takes this name, Caesar Augustus. He's over all the Roman Empire. Now his real name is Gaius Octavius. But how did he become Caesar Augustus? Well, he took the name Caesar from his great uncle Julius Caesar. But what's interesting is the name Augustus. The way he got that was the Roman Senate convened and bestowed that title upon him. It means exalted one. And they proclaimed that Caesar Augustus is a god. Hmm. So here's, here's the irony of all this. At the time when a man was supposedly to become a god, God came and became a man. Then at that moment of all of history, God chose that moment to send his son into the world. You remember a couple years ago when People Magazine put this uh, issue out that had the hundred most significant people who had ever lived in all of history. You remember that? And so it was, of course, very interesting because uh, I remember seeing the the preliminary sort of chatter about this coming out. And so I was very anxious to see it come out for whatever reason. I don't know, but I was curious about, you know, who would be on this list? I mean, and how would they compile these people? I mean, how would you determine the most significant people who have ever lived in all time? So I'm going to read you how they did it. This is what it says. It says, we evaluated each person by aggregating millions of traces of opinions into a computational data-centric analysis. You got that? They go on to say, we ranked historical figures just as Google ranks web pages by integrating a diverse set of measurements about their reputation into a single consensus value. All people of all time into this, this uh, sort of mathematical equation that's going to determine who are the most significant people of all time? And when the list finally comes out and you're, you're at 100 and you're careening down and all of these names of these world leaders, I mean, you would know just about every name on the list. And you get down to the top 10 and the pressure's on and then you're, you're moving down, you know, and you're, you're hearing names like Adolf Hitler. Then you get to the top five. And then it's five, four, three, two. And who's number one on their list? Jesus Christ. Number one, the most significant person who ever lived. Well, we know that. But I was just glad that Time Magazine and all their scientific data got it right. But here's my question. Where was Caesar Augustus on this list? He didn't make it. All we got out of him was some salad dressing. <laughs> Nothing. He's nowhere to be found. What did he do? Where, where, where is the one who was proclaimed by the Roman Senate to be a God? So the song says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. You see the... The only right response to this would be to rejoice, to sing. 
You know, after the, the first angel showed up to announce the, the coming king, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, and suddenly there was, a, was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. You see, the response even of the angelic beings were to sing and to rejoice at what has just happened. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still singing, still praising him, still excited about the fact that he came. But here's the point I want you to, to focus on before the choir sings some more for us. The line in the song that says, let every heart prepare him room. Did you ever think about that? Why is that there? Let every heart prepare him room. That almost seems a little odd, doesn't it? I mean, after everything that the song proclaims, after everything that we've said tonight, what, how would there be hearts that didn't prepare him room? The most significant person in all of history has come and there are some hearts that don't prepare him room. The choir was singing about the fact that there was no room for him in the inn. Hence, he was born in a manger. And as astonishing as that is, what's more astonishing is that there are people who don't have room for him in their heart. In their heart, that they say no, no to the coming king, no to the one who came, no to the one who reigns, no to the ruler of the universe, no, no. They say there's no vacancy in my life, just like there's no vacancy in the end. It's not just in the story of Christmas that there's no room for Jesus. It's in the world in which we live in. So I would say this to you this Christmas. I would say, think about the difference between joy and happiness. And I would think about when happiness comes, enjoy it, embrace it. Uh, it's wonderful. But know that it's fleeting. And don't be surprised when it's gone. But joy is where we really need to focus. We need to think to ourselves, now this Christmas, regardless of what happens, regardless of what circumstances come in or out of my life, is there joy because I know the king whom we celebrate. You know, all the people that you meet this season, all the people that you're going to see in the malls and in the stores, all the people that just about everywhere you go, especially here in the south just almost everywhere you go all the people that you meet have celebrated Christmas every single year of their life now we just sort of take that for granted but just think about this for a second isn't it interesting that almost all the people you meet have celebrated Christmas all the years of their life it's their almost unanimous favorite holiday and favorite time of the year and yet you would also say that isn't it true that the vast majority of people that you see in the places that you go don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we want to make sure that we're not 
celebrating Christmas the way people who don't have joy are celebrating Christmas. We want to make sure we're celebrating Christmas with joy the way it's intended to be celebrated. And I would say this about all those people that you come in contact with. They're all more open right now to have a conversation with you about Jesus than they'll ever be any other time of the year. Ever. There's more opportunity right now for you to talk to somebody about Jesus than at any other time in the whole entire year. I know that for a fact because I talk to people about Jesus all the time. This past week, I was in the hospital visiting people. And I was walking down the hall, and I'm always telling the uh, group on Wednesday night that tragedy in a human life is always opportunity for the gospel. And so whenever I'm in the hospital, I'm always keenly aware of what's around me because there's a lot of hurting people in the hospital. There's a lot of people who are bewildered, a lot of people who need some joy. And as I'm walking down the hall, I, I... passed in front of the ICU waiting room and as I pass through those windows they're kind of tinted but I always look in there to see what's in there because if anybody in the hospital is suffering and hurting it's the people in that waiting room because they're sitting there waiting for an opportunity to be go see their loved ones who are very very ill and I look in there and I see a man in there and he's got this little stool pulled up to his chair and he's got his bible there's a bible sitting there open on the stool now that caught my attention and so as i zip by i circled back around i came into the room and i got something to drink and i went over there and sat down and i struck up a conversation with him i said hey i see you're reading your bible he said well it's not my bible then i could see it was a gideon bible that sits there all the time he said but i did open it and i was trying to read it he said i was in church when I was a kid, but I haven't been in church in a long time. And I could tell by looking at him that he had lived a pretty rough life. And he said, it's been a long time since I've been in church, but my mom is really all I have, and she's really sick. And so I was sitting here, and I saw that Bible sitting there, and I thought I'd try to read it. So I opened it up, and I tried to read it. And I said, well, how did it go? And he said, it didn't go so good. He said, first of all, I I didn't understand it. I don't really know what's going on. And second of all, he said, I don't really think God is for people like me. I said, well, why do you think God's not for people like you? He said, because I've done a lot of terrible things. Things that I regret. He said, there was a time in my life where I was sort of on that path, but that's long gone. And I just don't think God's for people like me. So I saw the Bible sitting there, so I I thought, well, let's give it a shot. So I said, can I see that? And he passed me the Bible, and I, I was like, well, where were you reading? And he had his Bible open to the, he just opened up to the New Testament, and he was there at Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you know anything about Matthew chapter 1, you know that Matthew chapter 1 opens with this long genealogy of Jesus. And so here's what he does. He opens up this Bible after all these years of not opening his Bible. He opens up his Bible to Matthew chapter 1, and he starts reading all of these weird name, begot 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 weird name. And I said, so you were reading this? And he said, yeah. And I said, and it, it didn't make any sense to you, did he? And he said, no. And I, I said, well, let me read you something. So I started reading, and I said, this is the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ the son of David. And so I started reading through the names. 
this name, we got 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 this name. And then I got to the part where it says, and David, the king, begot Solomon. But everywhere else it says, by the wife's name, except for right there. It says, David begot Solomon by her who used to be the wife of Uriah. I mean, it's only like three lines, four or five lines in. And I said to him, I said, do you know who David is? He goes, yeah, I remember David. You know, the, you know he killed the giant with the slingshot? I said, yeah, kind of. I said, what else do you remember about David? I said, do you remember the whole thing about David and Bathsheba? He said, yeah, kind of. I said, you remember David was the king. He was God's chosen ruler, and he got mixed up with Bathsheba, and he committed sexual immorality. It was a horrible disaster. I said, then after that, he tried to conceal his sin by murdering innocent people to cover up his sin. I said, David blew it big time. I said... I don't, you mind if I ask you a question? Have you ever murdered anybody? He said, well, of course not. I haven't murdered anybody. I said, well, David did, and he's in the lineage of Jesus. And here I come in here, and you're, you think that God's not for people like you. And right here in the Bible, it says that David begot Solomon by her who used to be the wife of Uriah. And it was like in that moment I could see all the years just wash off his face, all the struggle, right there. I said, you know something? God's for people exactly like you, exactly like you, and exactly like me. You see, and I got to share the gospel with him at Christmas. Just like you'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody if you're open to it. Wherever you go, there's Christmas music playing or there's someone wearing a silly sweater or there's somebody buying a gift or there's somebody waiting in a line or there's somebody wrapping something. There's somebody doing something that can initiate you to have a conversation. Say, so, hey, how's your, how's your preparation for Christmas going? Hey, how long have you been waiting in line? Hey, have you, is your, how's your family doing at Christmas? Hey, do you, what, isn't it? good to listen to these songs while we're shopping in the store. Hey, there's something you can strike up a conversation with somebody about Christmas everywhere you go. And guess what? They're willing to talk to you about Christmas. And if you have a conversation with somebody about Christmas, it's almost impossible to do that without talking about Christ. And so my point is this. We can't just keep the joy to ourselves. There is a broken world out there that's putting all their money in the bank of happiness. And it leaves them dry every time. Every time. Joy is what they need. Joy. Now, you know, ultimately, I'm not the judge of any man's heart. And I don't really for sure know what happened in that man's heart in that moment where me and him talked. But here's what I do know. When I left that room... He still had the only person that he loved laying in ICU. He still had all the problems that he had the moment I met him. Yet suddenly, he had a smile on his face in the midst of all those struggles. And I walked out of that room and I said, Lord, that's joy. That's joy. Joy. Joy to the world.
the Lord has come.